Thank you so much for listening to this pre-recorded episode of Pub Talk Live. To find out more about Pub Talk Live, including how you can watch live, go to pubtalk.live. Thank you so much to my Patreon podcast sponsors, Brenda Drake and the Shape of a Star podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the July 31st episode of Pub Talk Live, the live publishing talk show airing the second and fourth Saturday of every month at 9 p.m. Eastern, except for this month because it's the fifth Saturday because I was in the mountains on the fourth Saturday. I am your host, Sarah Nicholas. I'm a young adult author, board member, and agent liaison for Pitch Wars and a library event planner. You can subscribe to Reminders via email by clicking the link in the description so that you don't miss a show. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter. Um, And if you'd like to support the show, you can find a link to the Patreon near the end of the video description down below. I think we are ready to get started with today's episode. Hello, Danny. Thanks for coming. Um, All right. So I'm going to introduce my guest co-host to you. Emily Thede is the author of This Vicious Grace, a former public school teacher. Emily teaches creative writing and serves on the board for Writer House, a local writing nonprofit, and co-hosts the Basic Pitches podcast. I have to make sure to say that correctly. An alumnus of Pitch Wars and Author Mentor Match, she loves mentoring aspiring authors, fostering kittens, and getting lost in the woods near her home in Central Virginia. So please welcome Emily to the screen. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm all right, except you see what's behind us? Okay, I changed it. <laughs> I, <laughs> it's amazing. I, I had uploaded it as an overlay, which is what I, we started with. Nice. Um, but I had accidentally uploaded as a background. So that's why you heard me say, uh oh, right before <laughs> I went live. <laughs> so we were Wait, talking about get my everything. actual real background, which is probably way worse. But... <laughs> <No>. <laughs> We my exercise with... bike. So classy. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It makes you look like sporty and well-read. Which is the bookshelf. Completely inaccurate, but I no, like that. You don't yeah. you don't <laughs> don't dispel the rumors. <laughs> we were talking right before about like um all the things that could go live, uh, wrong live, and then I just like eh, Yeah, there's gotta be something. You're gonna have the way. Totally. Right. <laughs> yes. All right. So um, if you haven't yet voted in the viewer poll today, uh, I'm going to post the, the link in the chat. The question is, do you listen to bookish podcasts? And that is honor in honor of our guests today. So um, go vote in that and we'll talk about the end. And I think we're ready to talk about publishing news. I'm going to let Emily go first so that we can get to yours at the right time. <laughs> All right. So I think I'm starting with on July 22nd, Penn Belarus, a sister organization to Penn America, released a report showing an increase in cultural rights violations in the country, including raids on media outlets the same day the Belarusian government moved to shut down the organization. Yeah. That right? Yeah. Yeah. It's intense. Uh, it is intense. Now is a good time to mention that all of the news items that we're going to talk about, the links for each of them will be available at the end of the show in the video description on YouTube or in the podcast um, show notes. And so if you want to read about anything more, read more about anything, um, you'll be able to find those after the show ends. So, and if you're watching the replay, they're already there. So you can go and look anytime you want. But yeah, this is... Um, quite uh, quite a violation someone speaks against cultural rights violations and then the government just is like oh you don't exist anymore <laughs> okay yeah, it's rough 
All right. <laughs> this next one, um, I'm going to read this with as much sarcasm as I can. <laughs> um, Amazon sales rose only 27% in the second quarter of 2021. Disappointing investors. CFO Brian Olszewski, I don't know how to say that, said the pandemic fueled boom seems to be slowing down and they'll probably return to their pre-pandemic growth of just a measly 20% per quarter. Rough, real rough. It's a rough life for Amazon these days. Yeah, so hard. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yes. What are their priorities is the question. <laughs> All right. Well, so that feels like a good transition to um, the <laughs> next one, which is actual good news, which is that according to the American Time Use Survey, reading among people 15 years old and up increased by 21% in the May to December period in 2020 over the same period in 2019. The data shows that reading of all kinds increased from just under 17 minutes per day in 2019 in the same time frame to just over 20 minutes in the comparable period last year. And this is actually a really interesting article. Like, I highly recommend people check it out because it really talks about kind of which demographics have been reading the most compared to what they used to. And for me, the take home point was the fact that when you give people time to read, um, and especially in a situation where um, I remember in the beginning of the pandemic, I had a lot of people who were really pessimistic about what would happen to the book industry. And mm -hmm. I remember saying, like, you can't make a movie without people being in the same room. You can't make a TV show, but you can write a book. That is the one industry that you can actually do it without people being in the same place. And the fact is, people do want to read books. They do want to they do want to consume content, and I think this study shows that people are excited to read books when they have the ability to do so. And so uh, this whole study is fascinating, but it talked a lot about how the biggest increase in daily reading came among 20 to 34-year-olds. And in readers over age 65, there was also a significant jump in readers who were African-American and people older than 75 spent by far the most time reading last year and every year for that matter, <laughs> reading an average of 55 minutes per day in the 2020 May to December period. So to me, the take home point was if you give people time to read and you give them books that appeal to them, they will read books. So whenever people talk about like, is publishing dying? Is is the book industry dying? Like, no, it's not. Like people want to read books and they will if you give them the opportunity to. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, you just reminded me of, um, I, didn't, I don't think I put it on here, but there was also a news item that came out last week that France had given um, teenagers a couple hundred dollars to buy art i think they're supposed to use it on like art literature whatever um and a lot of them were buying comics and this um, upset people of course because yeah. you know how people are snobs, um, yeah and it's like comics is still art comics is very much art 100 <laughs> like, percent. oh my gosh yeah totally yeah. all right uh the national book foundation currently Things are changing every day now. Currently sure plans is. to return to an in-person ceremony and dinner for the National Book Awards on November 17th. My birthday. Boop, boop. Oh, is it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, you should tell them to invite you just for your birthday. <laughs> I'm sure that'll work. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> All invited guests who want to attend will need to be fully vaccinated. And the event will also be broadcast in full, which it has been for several years, even before the pandemic started. Um, so you can watch it even if you're not invited. Um, I, 
I really love like big like industry parties. So <laughs> I love the thought of it. Yeah. Like I basically kind of broke into the industry after COVID hit. Yeah. So I'm just yeah. still waiting for my opportunity to see book people in person. But yeah. Totally. And one day. One day I will be invited. One day, yes. Mm-hmm. And in more book prize news, the winners of the Will Eisner Comic Industry Awards as well as the Booker Prize long list were announced last week. So that's very exciting. Yeah. And if you want to see who the winners are, you can go check them out um, after the show. Totally. Yeah. Um, so as a follow-up to the issues that um, with SCBWI that we discussed in the July 10th episode, this is kind of an ongoing developing saga, um, co-founder and executive director Lynn Oliver has announced that she'll retire at the end of this year. She said that she had been planning it for a while, though, um, and she expressed support for many of the requests from the open letter that we again discussed in the last episode. Um, and Publishers Weekly actually did a much better roundup of this issue than they had previously. So um, go read that one. Don't read the old one because it's not great. <laughs> um, yeah, if you want to learn more about it. And basically, the open letter was asking for what is pretty standard for membership-based organizations that the leadership be elected and have some kind of accountability. Shocking. Um, Bare minimum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, I am. And it's been, I think if there's one moral of lesson we've learned in the past year or so, it's that any organization you join will become controversial within like 30 days. (laughs) The most boring organization, you're like, this seems fine. It's like 30 days later, someone just has to like throw horse manure onto a fire and it is just, whoo, just like people just can't resist. Are you ABA then too? (laughs) No. I think at this point I've been saved from joining some organizations because I like waited too long and now they're all just lighting themselves on fire. So pros and cons. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, so uh, Stacey Abrams is adding another item to her very impressive resume. Love Stacey Abrams. On December 28th, her first picture book, Stacey's Extraordinary Words, will be published. It's based on her participation in Spelling Bees as a Child and will feature themes of perseverance and bravery. Um, I will also just give a shout out because Stacey Abrams, um, I'm not a romance author per se, but I am very active and a, a listener of a lot of romance podcasts. Mm-hmm. And Stacey Abrams is absolutely a hero in the romance genre. And I'm just absolutely thrilled that a romance author is out there. Um, you know, not taking any grief from anyone and writing her books and doing great work. And it's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So she's got romance published. She's got nonfiction published. She's got mystery thriller, yes. political thrillers published. She's got picture Hashtag books. goals. She has just taken over. Yeah. I, will, uh, I let her. That's I 100%. Her. Yes. <laughs> For any, any job, everything. any genre, any industry. <laughs> Go for it, Stacey. All right, our last piece of news. Um, Amazon officially launched Kindle Vela. Vela is their new mobile-first interactive reading platform for episodic self-published stories. It's currently only available for authors who publish in English in the United States um, and can be accessed via the Amazon website or the Kindle iOS app, not the Kindle Android app, which is weird, but um, (laughs) that's besides the point, I guess. Um, yeah, I've seen a lot of people in like my self-publisher goals talk about this, but almost no one in traditional publishing talk about it, which is weird. Yeah, I think traditional publishing, like with there's a bunch of kind of layers of disconnect. Like we don't have a lot of like 
it's not that it doesn't matter to us. It's just that we don't know how things work. Like things have to go through so many people before they get published that we're just not aware of the yeah. situation. But also I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a debut author and so I don't know anything that's going on. Like I'm still at the point where I'm like they, things show up in my inbox and I don't know where they're going or who is involved with it. So <laughs> it might just be me being clueless. I don't really know. <laughs> we'll yeah. see. Um, yeah, so we'll kind of like see how it goes. Um, the I listened to the uh, oh my god, they're they're on hiatus right now, so I just like blanked on their name. Um, it's Lindsay Baroker, um, Joe Lalo. What is that podcast called? I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, Lindsay Baroker's podcast, and they talk a lot about like Amazon and different things. So I'm excited for when they come back and to get their take on it because yeah. I just don't have the time to research it right now. <laughs> so I feel that. All right. So we're going to bring on our special guest. Daniel Ford is the author of Sid Sanford Lives and Black Coffee. He's also the co founder of Writer's Bone a literary podcast and website that champions aspiring and established authors. A Bristol, Connecticut native, native and longtime Queens, New York transplant, Ford now lives with his wife, Stephanie, in Reading, Massachusetts, where coffee and cannoli are always within arm's reach. So please welcome Daniel to the show. Hello. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much for coming on. I'm really excited we're able to have this chat. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. Yeah, so all of us are authors and all of us are podcasters. So this is a, a author podcast themed show today. <laughs> Danny did say, Emily, your glasses are amazing. <laughs> Thank you. I have a bunch of them because I keep losing them. I have just a big stack of glasses. <laughs> so I have a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Daniel, can you start us off by telling everyone who doesn't know about it all about Writer's Bone? Like, how did it get started? How has it evolved over the years? You know, the whole story. Yeah, absolutely. It originally started in 2014 uh, with me and my friend Sean Tui. And originally it was just going to be me and him every week talking about books, talking about pop culture, talking about movies, TV. Uh, if you go back and listen to the earlier episodes, and please God, don't, because they sound terrible. That's something that we had to learn uh, because we, we were doing this on a lark. You know, it wasn't going to be anything that it was for us. It was totally for us. And then uh, he was talking to the founder of Hard Case Crime, uh, which is a great publication. Uh, they they republish uh, older pulp novels with the original covers. Uh, just, just a terrific uh, publishing outfit. And the guy was like, I can't interview during the day, but could you do like eight or nine o'clock? And at that point, we're like, yeah, sure. We don't have any lives. We're, we're living alone at that. We have no responsibilities. Sure. Uh, and it went from there. And then it became, all right, how many emails do you have to send out to get authors to talk to us? And in the early days, it was a ton. We were emailing like 20, 30 people a day. Like, can you, can you talk to us? I know this sounds really bad. We're working on it. But... Um, <laughs> And someone like uh, Michelle McNamara, uh, the late Michelle McNamara, who wrote I'll Be Gone in the Dark, came on. And just that, that, that for me is the starting point of the podcast and when we got serious because her love of the craft, what she was doing, her love of writing, her love of investigative journalism hit us, hit us hard. And we're like, all right, if we're going to do this, A, we need to figure out how to sound good. And B, we got we to gotta get writing. So both those things kind of happened in tandem uh, and really went from there. And now we're at the point where people come to us, which is so nice, uh, it would, unbelievable. Every day I get emails saying, hey, can I come on the show? And it's just, 
it's mind boggling. Because uh, you know, we started out, we were just two dumb kids who were living, had just moved to Boston, didn't know what we were doing, and now we're here. <laughs> so, were you a podcaster before you were an author, or were you an author first? Uh, well, this is an interesting question. Uh, <laughs> I was, I've always been a writer, uh, so I always written. So I didn't publish my book until well after we started the podcast. Okay. So I guess technically I was a podcaster first, but I've been writing since pretty much birth. Um, yeah. You know, and I think having the podcast helped me land uh, an indie publisher when I did for sure. Uh, but I would, I always listen to podcasts. Like I was an early adopter. I was like, this is cool. And some of the early ones were just reruns of NPR shows or reruns of ESPN shows that I would just listen to on the way home uh, and to work on my commute. I was like, this is great. Uh, and then you know, when we got into it, they really started booming. Like, oh, podcasts could be a real thing. Uh, oh, totally. So yeah, I was my, ready so to my... hop on. My father uh, was an electrical engineering professor, which is not it's not like a podcast thing. Um, but he decided to create a podcast of his his lectures. And I distinctly remember my father being like, I have a podcast and it has a million <laughs> listens. And I was like, what's up? <laughs> and now years later, I'm like, dad, you have a million <laughs> listens on your podcast. But like 10 years ago, I was like, I don't understand right. what you're talking about. So yeah, I mean, being on the forefront of a genre is intense, but also like having Michelle McNamara is incredible. Like, wow, like what a start to your show. Like, that's really amazing. It's very cool. Yeah, she was. Uh, yeah, every time I go back and every couple of years, especially with the the documentary that just came out, I go Which back and listen to it and phenomenal. Oh, it's so good. So and uh, nice. they actually came to us and, you know, asked us to use our, our audio at one point, which we, you know, which we did. Uh, I don't think it made it into any of the final cuts, but you know, it just reminded us like what we were doing and uh, why yeah. we were doing it. That's amazing. Very cool. Yeah. I've been um, surprised by the response I've gotten when I invite people like I send emails inviting people fully expecting a no, you know, and I'm like, oh, no, you're serious. You want to come on? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. See, I'm, you know, I'm, as, a, as a debut author, I feel like I see it from the other side where we are all like I, I have so many friends that look at debut authors like with a little bit of stars in their eyes. Like, wow, like these are real authors, whereas debut authors don't feel like that at all. We all mm. just feel like we're faking it. And so if someone wants to talk to us, we're just like, who, me? And so it's this funny, uh, being someone that has started a new podcast at the same time as being an almost debut author is a funny dynamic because it's like, as a podcaster, I expect no one to want to be on my podcast. But as an author, I expect no one to want me to be on their podcast. And like, neither of those is true. It's just like, it, we're all just a bunch of imposter syndrome cases. Totally, at all time. 100%. Right. Totally. And, it, and as much as I love a big name coming on, like a Laura Lippman, you know, there's something in our DNA. Uh, I'm in, I'm with an indie publisher. So like that, that independent streak runs in our blood. And there's nothing I love more than talking to a debut author, talking to an indie author, uh, you know, that, not not that that's where the real storytelling is, but the real the real super passion for it, and that, that's what keeps me going. So I like to keep that mix of, you know, the I want to hear from the masters myself because, like I tell everyone uh, on the show a lot, I'm I've been running my own MFA class and not having to pay for it for years, uh, and, but I also want to hear from writers like me who are going through it and writers like you and uh, Sarah, like uh, yeah, absolutely because. 
I, I, I haven't figured this out. No one's figured out publishing yet. So no we might as well talk about it. But. None of us yeah. know what we're doing. <laughs> so true. That was a perfect segue into the next question, actually. Um, yeah. You've interviewed a lot of writers over the years. <laughs> Can you share with us a couple of kind of your favorite moments, the most interesting conversations, the best advice, you know, your top three, whatever. <laughs> this is, this is tough. Yeah. Um, and it, it's tough in the sense that we made it clear early on that we weren't going to do a whole lot of looking back. Like my favorite interview is always the next one. Uh, and some of that is because I'm editing audio at such a clip where if I were to go back and dreamily listen to like every episode with Laura Littman in it, I would get nothing done. Uh, by the way, great way to spend your time just listening to her on repeat. <laughs> Terrific. Uh, she's a highlight, obviously, because you ask her one question and she goes and then you throw out your script of questions. And she's just, just a master. Uh, getting to talk to Richard Russo was uh, high on my bucket list and got to talk to him twice. There's a historian named Nathaniel Philbrick, who I bond with uh, with my brothers. Uh, his work is great. But um, recently, uh, S.A. Cosby, who is lighting the world on fire right now with his uh, mystery thrillers, uh, just a fantastic, just, oh, God, it's so smart, but so down to earth. Uh, a writer after my own heart and someone that uh, is so easy to root for. Uh, we talked to him the other night for an episode coming up and I, I was joking. I'm like, well, you're way too famous to talk to us right now. Uh, and he's like, I will never be that famous. And I'm like, well, we're going to have to get that in writing because we're going to have to have that back on again. But yeah, it's it's funny. It's like always the next one. Uh, my wife and I actually, uh, at the end of last year, we interviewed the showrunners for One Day at a Time. Uh, Mike Royce and Gloria Calderon Kellett. I hope I got her name right. I always mix up the order of her names. Uh, but I, I love both of their work independently and to get them both on the same show talking about one day at a time, a show that I absolutely loved was yeah. was pretty special. <laughs> Danny's very excited. Yeah. <laughs> I saw yeah, that. I saw that big. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. And they they had great they had great stories about the cast and working with uh, you know, uh, just everyone from the, the 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 producers to the actresses and the actors. It just was. It seemed like uh, what you were seeing on screen was was happening behind the scenes too. Just a really cool interview. Mm, very cool. I'm glad that you mentioned S.A. Cosby because I'm very good friends with Kelly Garrett, who he is friends with. And just the oh, other day, yeah. I yelled at Kelly. I was like, "Tell S.A. Cosby to come on my podcast." <laughs> we'll make that happen. We'll make that happen for sure. If you told Kelly, it's awesome. going to happen. Another yeah, one. That's of our what favorites. I was going to say. Yeah. If you told Kelly, it's going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. totally going to happen. Yeah, he may show up at your house and be like, "All right, let's do this." <laughs> yeah. Kelly Garrett's another one. We uh, interviewed her live. Uh, one of her books uh, came out in. Uh, I, I don't know if it was her launch, her main launch event, but it was in Rhode Island, and she was she was terrific. I mean, one of my favorite people in publishing and mm -hmm. in the world. Period. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, yeah, totally. I listened to your interview with Rachel Lynn Solomon. This oh yeah, was another good entertainment. one. Entertainment. Yes. Good it's yeah. funny because Emily, you said your father is a electrical. Um, uh, yeah, engineer. Yeah. Yeah, and then in the X Talk. The main character is a podcaster whose father yeah. is a electrician yeah, there are, or electrical something. There are, there are character archetypes that are based on reality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a thing. Yeah. But also, I kind of love it because I, so I write, um, 
my debut is what someone might consider a dark fantasy with like a rom-com center, which like is not usually a thing that people think of. Um, but I, but what I love is that my father was an electrical engineer who introduced me to his love of rom-coms. And so I, I just, in general, I love the idea of someone that has kind of an outer case that is one thing and then an inner center that is different. So I feel like that's, that's going to be my brand going forward. So yeah, totally. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we love rom-coms over here. We we talk about them all the time, watch them all the time, read them all the time. They're not even a guilty pleasure anymore for me. No, they're just a pleasure. They're just great. I they're love so them. great. Yes. Especially the good the ones, the bad ones. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Like that's we've had stuff. You've Got Mail on repeat <laughs> yep. in the background somewhere. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I got a list. Totally. Yeah, the day the writer of the Princess Switch followed me on Twitter, and I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> uh, that's exciting!" Well, see, talking about podcasts, some of my favorite podcasts are actually podcasts that analyze rom com books. Mm. Um, so there's some. I'll, I'll give a shout out to the Heating yeah. Bosoms podcast is one of my all time favorites. It is what a not name. great name. It is don't listen to it around your children. Like keep your headphones <laughs> in. But it is so fantastic, and I started listening to it as a what you might say a guilty pleasure. Like it was just for fun. And then I realized as an author that listening to people analyze books as a reader is one of the most wonderful ways to develop as a writer. Totally. Because when you really listen to what it is that resonates with readers, what it is they don't like, what it is they catch when it doesn't work. I mean, it's a phenomenal way to, to level up as a creator. So very mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. All right. We have a question. So my Patreon supporters can submit questions ahead of time. And we have one from Danny, who's actually in the audience. Hi, Danny. Uh, very, very important question. Who has the better cannolis, Queens or is it reading? Uh, it's reading, actually. It's reading. Yeah. Okay. Uh, reading would be too on the nose even for yeah. us over here. <laughs> uh, well, I haven't had a cannoli from reading yet. Oh, uh, so okay. I'll, we'll, we uh, we just recently moved here, so I'll go with uh, the you know Queens versus Boston cannolis. Yeah. Uh, oh well, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I grew up in New wow. Jersey, so like, yeah, no, that's, that's wow. obvious. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I grew up in New Jersey. Yes, wow. Queens is superior to. Sorry. Well, we're gonna have to talk about New Jersey after this, but yes, okay, we're momentarily on the same side, so we'll get there. Um, when it comes to cannolis, yes. Correct. I'm equal opportunity cannoliist. So I, I hate <laughs> pitting yeah. right. I hate putting them against each other. Uh because I've had great cannolis here and there. Uh but the the one thing I really miss about New York is the food, obviously. Oh, so good. Yeah. The rent and everything else and being poor, not so much, but definitely pizza for the, for sure. The pizza, the bagels, and the cannoli are solid though. Right, hundred percent. Right. Yeah. And the cheesecake. I'll throw cheesecake in there too. That's fair. I moved to Virginia as a 15 year old and I'm mm. still on the hunt for a cannoli or a pizza. <laughs> I did I did end up in the only town south of the Mason Dixon line that has decent bagels. Yeah, I said it. Um, but so I've done okay there. But yeah, at the, as soon as I go up north, I'm just like on a hunt for like yeah. cannoli and pizza because it's just true. It's yeah, true. there's a great bagel place down the street from us, nice. which is as close to a New York bagel as I've found up here. It's, <laughs> it's not quite surprisingly the same hard. level, but it's it's pretty good. It'll yeah. scratch the itch. Yeah. <laughs> the um the pubbers and I constantly joke about the next spinoff that I'm going to do of Pump Talk Live is um pizza pizza talk live. 
where I just like go <laughs> around and have pizza with authors and talk to them. Yes, do this. Nice. Do yeah, that. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I just needed like a sign sponsor. Me up. I need like Food Network to sign me on or something. <laughs> We're gonna make this happen. This is a great this is a great idea. Great. I already pizza see the logo, cool. everything. Yeah, we'll we'll work on this. Uh, pizza. Yes. Pizza all over the country with authors. That sounds okay. like my idea of heaven. Also, I don't, <laughs> I don't Seriously, right. deal with that sound situation. I don't want to be the audio engineer on that. So <laughs> I made oh. someone. Um, all right. So, Daniel, you seem to do a lot of research on your guests before you interview them. Um, so can you give us some interview and guest research tips? Sure. Um, you know, it's really... I have a journalism background. That's what I got my degree in. So it's kind of second nature when I have a guest on. Uh, and there, there are times where I don't have a lot of time where I can't necessarily read the entire book. But the, the place where I start is the work. So whether it's reading all of the book, whether it's reading the beginning, even if it's nonfiction, using my old grad school trick, reading the intro, reading something in the middle, reading the end, and you kind of get the gist of it. Um, now that's big, you know, having enough conversational uh, nuggets that you can pull out from the work itself is kind of the where I start. That's my baseline because everything else you can look up. Uh, and our, our questions are somewhat basic, but uh, I find that, you know, once you start getting into the work, once you, once you start getting into the writing process, that's where the real conversation for us happens. And I think that's what writers have told us the most that they appreciate because usually... When they got on podcasts, it's like, why did this character do this? You know, typical reader questions. You know, what, why, why did you kill off my favorite character? You know, all, <laughs> all of that stuff. And I want to know, like, what kind of coffee were you drinking? Or those those writers that we've talked to that don't drink coffee, those absolute monsters. Yeah. Uh, and it's okay because I tell them that in the air immediately. It's like, what we are not the same people, all right? Um, uh, but really, it's. You can look up anything, and it doesn't it doesn't take a ton of time. Uh, and I, I found that you know the the deeper you go, you know you do the cursory uh, in the beginning, just kind of about bare bones, finding out about the person, what they do, uh, their work, and then you, you kind of go a step deeper. You want to you know listen to some interviews, some past interviews, and there were times where I, I'm talking to people, I'm like, well, when you had this conversation with so and so back and whatever that. That not only you know signals to them that all right I've done my homework and I'm someone that they can open up to, but it it just it it gives you just credibility with your audience too because mm -hmm. they know all right this guy knows what he's talking about uh, when in reality I I do not most of the time. <laughs> That's why I love being an editor so I can go back and edit myself. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> a good point. So what I heard was Emily should have sent me a review copy of This Vicious Grace when she agreed to come on the show. I will when I have one. I don't have one yet. They're coming. We're That's still great. waiting on a cover. Then we'll, we'll get them soon. So you, you it, just invited me too it, early is all you're yeah. saying. Just, yeah. <laughs> some names that we that we have on, they're like uh, some of the bigger names. Like, all right, you got to do this. Uh, now it's at the point where they give us enough lead time to come to us mm -hmm. and say, this book is coming out in October. Can we set something up for September and that's awesome. Before back in the day, it's like, all right, you have a week 
And it's like, all right, uh -huh. well, I'm probably not going to get through the book, especially if it's like 500 pages long. Yeah. See, Sarah's um, just going to have to bring me back now. I think that's what we just like, basically there's a contract yeah. at this point. Like I'm totally. coming back in a few months. Well, when, once your pump day passes, then we can do a queries, qualms, and quirks episode. Sweet. Yeah. I'm ready. I certainly <laughs> wrote enough queries. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of doing guest research, we have another question from Danny. Um, Emily, Emily crushing Rita. it. Oh, which one is it? Okay, hold on. Sorry. <laughs> I'm new to this live thing. I do a podcast too, but it's all not live. Is this the Grease Photos one? Yes. Yes. Okay. The Grease Photos on your Instagram look amazing. Already I'm jealous. What's a place that you think authors should venture to when it's safe for writing inspiration to escape the waiting worries of publishing? I like this. Uh, I like Greece this is too. Greece is high up there. Yeah, yeah. that was uh, my honeymoon with my wife. That was a life changing event in many ways. Um, <laughs> one tangent, uh, and this is totally something that probably doesn't happen. To, I don't know how it happened to us, but we we got to this villa, for lack of a better word. Like it wasn't it wasn't a villa. I mean, you're you're probably thinking of something grand. It wasn't, but very nice, <laughs> very nice hotel, uh, very swank and. They're, they're like, oh my God, we have you in this room tonight, but don't worry, tomorrow, big surprise. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about your view. Don't worry about your room. And we get there and it's paradise because you open up the doors <laughs> and there's a view of the pool. There's a view of the ocean. It's like, all right, well, what? They can't possibly get yeah. better than this. Uh, I don't know what we're doing here. And they, they kept, everyone we ran into like, don't, don't worry. Don't worry, just, just get through tonight and tomorrow, <laughs> big surprise. So they move us into a, another room that it was a little higher up with its own private pool and an even better view. And they're like, see, and I'm, we're like, all right, well, yes, okay. this this is much better. Thank you. Go away now. Go away. <laughs> and we, we, we had all these plans. Like, oh, it's like, no, we're just going to order food and drinks to the room. And that's, that's it. Uh, but there was also a great bookstore, I believe. I can't remember. Yeah, it was in Santorini. Uh, and I forget mm. the town, but it was uh, the bookstore on the top of the world. Uh, can't remember it. Uh, I don't have the book close by, but I got a stamp on it. Uh, that's what I love doing the most in any city I'm in. We have to hit at least one to five bookstores. Yes. Uh, so wherever you are, I like, I'm a city guy. So I love just walking around a city. That's what inspires me. That's what gets my creative juices flowing, whether it's going to a pub, which I very much miss, or a restaurant or just sitting on the street. And um, the closest feeling I got to when I first moved to New York, and New York is in my blood, uh, you know, my, my family's from New York. I spent a lot of time there. That city is part of me. Uh, the closest feeling I got to that was when we went to Paris, uh, right the year before the pandemic hit. And, uh, you know, talk about walking on Paris streets and going to, uh, Shakespeare and Paris, it just, it just, uh, or Shakespeare and company, just, mm -hmm. just one of those places that, that gets in you and that uh, doesn't let you go. Uh, so yeah, when you're, wherever you go, like just, just explore the area, but make sure you hit up the local bookstore who, and they usually have the best stories and will sell you the best books. So yeah. Do totally. that. I think, I think travel is like, if you can do it is one of the absolute best ways to inspire a story. Because you're seeing new people, new places, just everything. So I think that's fantastic. I have to laugh. Um, I'm I'm keeping track of our questions in the, <laughs> in the in the chat. 
Um, and so we got one that's a bit of a shift, but um, makes me feel like someone has a hidden camera in my house, um, which is, do you watch Ted Lasso? And what do you think of Roy Kent as a romantic lead? Which is a bit of a tone shift, but I love this question. So I just have to share it. So, I haven't do, watched it, so I have no... Oh, um, you have I haven't it. either. Yeah, it's on uh -oh. my list. It's right on my alley. I mean, it could, not, it could not be more of a show that I would love. I just haven't gotten to it. Well, yet. I'm just going to say put it on your list. And I think, I think Roy Kent is a fantastic romantic lead. That's what I will say. And everyone should watch the show because it's fantastic. Right. <laughs> what platform is it on? It's on Apple, Apple TV, which we did yeah. not have, but we got it for Ted Lasso and it was oh, well yeah. worth it. I don't it, have a single so. Apple device. Oh, wow. wow. That's also a big reveal. Mm, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> We're learning, we are learning a lot new every yeah. day. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's been a lot of talk in um in the romance landia world yeah. of um kind of how how did a romance writer get into the writer's room of this sporty TV show because we're convinced that there there's a there's a mold. There. There's a plant. Nice. Yes, absolutely. So what when you guys are writing, do you picture people as your characters or does that happen later because i don't like I, I i typically don't have like a celebrity or an actor or an actress I, in mind mine's like a total mix like i have so like keeping your secret ria the main character was 100 percent this girl that had been on my sister's soccer team that i had a crush on um but you have to watch ted lasso <laughs> 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 yeah but segue. And that, yeah, the first, the um, um, Dragons for People too, like the male lead, I did not for a long time have anyone like really in mind for him. It was just kind of like this nebulous person. Um, and then I saw this guy just like on a crosswalk and I was like, that's him. And ever since then, that's, <laughs> I don't know. So mine's really random. Mine's not celebrities. It's like random people. <laughs> Mine is yeah, same here character based like i think a character dynamic especially two characters the way that they interact is very likely to inspire something so it's not that i am basing something on an actor like that it's never a real person it's never a real actor but there are frequently movies or tv shows where i see the way that two characters interact that i am just fascinated by and usually it isn't explored enough in the tv show i mean it's kind of like i never wrote fanfic but i probably mm. should have and I think it's that seed of like, oh, I love how these two characters inter interact. And like, why didn't they take that further? Why didn't they explore that more? Why didn't they investigate that dynamic more? Um, and that often spurs ideas. And so mm. the characters then branch off on their own. But it's just that seed of this would be really cool. And I want to see that. And the actual showrunners never made it happen. So, mm. yeah, so you totally. write like Interesting. fan fiction with a couple of like, levels removed <laughs> yeah like unintentionally and so i you know i didn't write until i was like well into my 30s like i didn't i always thought it would be cool to write but i didn't have an idea on my own but my entire life i mean my entire life i've told myself stories when i was falling asleep and often it was it started with a movie or a tv show and characters that i was fascinated by and it was just kind of where where else could i make them go what else could i make them do and i didn't know fanfic was a thing and honestly maybe it wasn't at that point mm. but I, that's kind of how i got my start as just a story creator so yeah mm. well fanfic was definitely a thing because it oh, started with totally. the yeah. star wars fandom but I, oh, me too. Yeah, yeah, but I didn't, that's what I didn't I know doing. about it yeah. so i was just telling myself stories to fall asleep at night because i have mm -hmm. a busy brain i have adhd i'm not someone i wrote who can a just lot of stories close my eyes and go to sleep when <laughs> so. i was like 13 that 
featured all like Greek gods. Like that was my fan fiction. Oh, that's cool too. I like that. Yeah. That's awesome. I think that's a really like a basic human desire. Like I think we totally. love stories, but we love stories. We want to take them beyond what's on the page. And so, yeah, I just told myself stories to fall asleep because I needed a story to fall asleep with. And so it was like, eventually, well, what if you wrote it down? What if you, what if you tried to take it a step further? And yeah. Danny said I started oh with God, the Bring It great. On fandom. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that's awesome. So what what do you two do when you sit down to write? What are your writing Daniel's processes interviewing like? us now. <laughs> I was hoping you weren't going to notice. But yeah, that, now I'm curious. Yes. Now I am. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. What, what was the question? Uh, your writing. writing process. Yeah. When you sit down to do the do the work, what do you uh, what do you do? Pre-COVID or during COVID? <laughs> I had a process and then the world fell apart. I've been home with two children for 16 months. So I don't know. My process process at this point is no process. It's just not happening. But it used to be my process generally is I write really fast, messy, sloppy, like hideous first drafts just to get through it. I just want to get words on the page. I want to write every scene that's fun. I want to see what those characters are going to do. And then I spend the bulk of the time putting it back together and shaping it and getting feedback on it and, you know, revising it. Um, at this point, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just I envy that though. I wish something. I had that. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. I, um, I, I tend to think about stories for a long time. Like I'll have an idea and then I won't even start writing it for like a year. It just like simmers for a while. And it's funny because on the Quarries, Quams and Quirks this week, um, Tara Lazar said that that's what she did. She's like, oh, but you can't probably do that for a novel. She writes picture books. And I was like, oh, yeah, you can do that. <laughs> but, um, uh, right. But then when I sit down to write it, it does usually come out pretty fast, but it also comes out pretty spare. It's like um, the yeah. plot arc and the character arc and nothing else, like no description, blank rooms all the way through, you know. Um, and so it's it's usually about like 15 to 20k shorter than it will end up being yeah mine's, that, that's, mine's yeah. just characters <laughs> talking to each other that's <laughs> that's what i that's what i do too yeah <laughs> but it's Which only is the first 60 percent. like there's never a final act oh. like it's just like here are characters they're talking they're bantering <laughs> they're getting to know each other and then i like send it to a critique partner and they're like what there is no what happened. Yeah. <laughs> right. What happened? What ha- right. Like, what goes yeah. on here? Oh yeah. Right. Figure that out later. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a couple of people have talked to me. Are like, why don't you just write a play? But I'm so intimidated by like the format and like being penned in like that. I'm like, I. Yeah. It doesn't work for me creatively. What whatever it is, I just can't. I can't do it. No. Yeah, I love I'm the told- thought of having actors take your words but yeah. i also it's also kind of terrifying because like i <laughs> love to shape these characters and like really put the nuance in their dialogue like i i think it's got to be such an act of trust to have actors take your words and breathe their own life into it but also like just fascinating so yeah it's really cool megan has an interesting question oh, yeah. how well do you feel you <laughs> have to know a place if you're trying to use setting as a character in fiction Oh, that's a good one in this time where we can't travel. Because <laughs> I had big plans to go back to Venice before oh, this no. sequel. No. <laughs> and now I can't. Um, <laughs> so it depends on how fictionalized it is, I think, is what I would say. I write, so I write fantasy. Um, my, my debut 
is a fantasy that takes place on an island that is inspired by the Amalfi Coast of Italy, but it's not a real island. So it's not based on an actual place. Um, so I'm taking all the things that I love about that, but I don't have to be factually accurate. Um, but then in book two, I have characters that do go to what is supposed to be a fictionalized version of Venice. And I have not been there in a decade. Um, and so I'm going to have to either do a lot of research or release myself from the responsibility of making it accurate um, mm. and let myself just kind of make it fictionalized. And I think, I think the answer is for me is that you have to pick one or the other, uh, you know, especially if you are fictionalizing it, you have to occasionally give yourself permission to fictionalize it. There are times where you're going to yeah. have to change the setting to fit totally. the book and that's okay. As long as it's not historical fiction. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, yeah. It, it depends. Like most of my settings, whether it's, in New York or whether it's in a small town or anywhere else, my, my settings tend to be pretty intimate. Uh, it's either like somebody's house, uh, coffee shop, a bar. Uh, I don't know what it is about me or what it says about me that I just love writing about characters who are in a bar. Uh, black coffee is filled with them. Um, and then you could just insert the coffee house at some point. Um, so yeah, it kind of depends. And I think if it's, on a grander scale, and it's a bigger city like a uh, Venice. Uh, you're certainly right, Emily. You gotta you gotta devote a little bit more research or actually go there. But I think, you know, if you're you're dealing with a setting that's somewhat, I don't want to say universal, but but something that someone would not have to take a lot of imagination to conjure in their mind. Um, you know, I think a small town people know what that is in certain parts of the world. I, I think you get away with that. And even if you're doing, you're setting something in New York, uh, you know, I love setting my, 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 uh, my book in Queens and having, you know, some of the spots that I frequented, which probably aren't <laughs> live anymore. Uh, so yeah, it, it kind of depends. I mean, readers know when you're faking it. So, you know, if you're fictionalizing it to serve the story, I think they're they're on board with that. But when you get too far into just making stuff off about like what it's actually like to live there, that's when you get into some real trouble. Yeah, I I don't I'm not I don't I'm not it's weird to say this, but I'm not like a huge fan of setting usually. Like there are maybe some books that are the exception to that, but um honestly I skim most scene setting type stuff. Um, but if it was a situation like Megan mentioned where the setting is a character, that's like, that's kind of a different experience, a kind of a different right. book than what I write and what I usually like to read. Um, but I imagine that the feeling is more important than like street names, you know? Correct. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's and I, I, I think yeah. there are probably people who disagree with me, but. <laughs> well, no, I think you're right. Yeah. There are books where. It's supposed to be correct, and there are books where it's not. And I think readers right. can tell if you're trying to be accurate and you're messing it up, that feels clunky. Right. If you're saying, I'm in this for the aesthetic, I'm in this for the vibe, and I'm not worried about authenticity, then I think readers will ride with it. You know, like again, with mine, the totally. first book, it's a fictionalized place. The second book, it's a far distant future alternate universe, whatever. And so I feel very comfortable as an author if someone says, well, that's not where the road is, that I will say, I don't care. <laughs> I never even right. I never yeah. even said it was Venice. It just right. looks like Venice. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to evoke the feeling 
right. that I get when I go mm-hmm. to Venice. I'm trying to evoke the this the sensory details, the smells and the sights and the tastes. And if you get those, I'm not worried about the authenticity of the actual facts because it's not supposed to be that. But again, like it depends on what you're doing. If you're trying to write an authentically historical novel, then you're going to have to do the work and you're going to have to put in the legwork because those readers are expecting you to get that right. So I think it just depends totally. on what your goal is. Yep. Yeah, I saw a tweet the other day. Someone is upset that like two streets intersected that don't in a street intersect in the in the city. And I, my first thought was, I honestly don't care. And then I realized <laughs> I'm always lost anyway. Like I never know what street <laughs> right. I'm on. 100%. Right. So that's yeah. probably why I don't care. Like this street that I drive on every day to get to Publix, I don't even know what's called. Yeah, like, I had right. to, I had, so I had a map, um, they asked me with my book, they said, do you, do you want a map? And I was like, totally. Yeah. I mean, like why fantasy? I love a map. And then I realized too late that if you're going to have a map maker, create a map that you have to know where stuff is. <laughs> um, and so they said, okay, great. Um, draw a map for the map maker. And I kept thinking, oh, oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I'm out. I no. don't. I don't draw the map. I take it back. Right. A map maker draws the map. And so I spent a good like six weeks going back and forth with an actual cartographer trying to like figure out where stuff is and bless this amazing human for being like, how far is this? And how far is this? And I was like, I don't know, like this has to be like, they have to be able to walk this in an afternoon and that should be farther. And like, I need a boat to go from here to here. Like I need that to take a couple days because like I have some cool stuff that has to happen. And they're like, but that's, that's not a couple of days. And I was like, well, it has to be like, can we just like <laughs> knock over the ship or like have a storm? And you know, this poor cartographer is like, I need facts. And I'm thinking, I don't need facts. I just, I need the story. And right. can we adjust the facts to fit the story? And it was one of those, again, as a daughter of an Emily's engineer. like, you can't draw a map based on vibes alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had this one where I thought, what there a pull quote is a world of engineers being like do you not understand how distance works and i was like do you not understand how a story works <laughs> right 100% right. i wasn't planning out the map when i wrote this story so um my apologies to all the cartographers that read my book because <laughs> i tried Yes, I will throw storms and broken masts and holes in ships to slow that ship down to make it work. I don't know. Yeah, we'll make we'll make it work, right? We'll make it work. All right, I have um, another question for Daniel before we start wrapping it up. Uh, I first found you. I don't know what the right verb is. I don't want to say discovered you. I didn't discover you. I first found is good. Was aware of you um, when you did uh, a little panel for Sync on author podcasts, writing writing podcast type of stuff. And I thought you had a lot of good things to say on that. Mm. And then I started listening to your podcast. <laughs> um, awesome. So what advice do you have for writers who might be looking at starting their own podcast? Uh, one, it is a great way to avoid your own work. Like, <laughs> to, if you want to procrastinate. Right? Don't tell my editor that. <laughs> if, if you want to procrastinate and not, and not write. <laughs> Lord, it is awesome because you get to talk about writing and feel like you're doing it and you're not doing it at all. It's amazing. Oh, no. <laughs> um, yeah, industry Calling secret number one. Out. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, but two, and, and this is really important because, you know, you can go down the weeds to, and have a microphone and a mixing board and all this stuff and uh, you can get into it and you got to know that the, the editing, takes, <laughs> editing takes a long time. Um but at the same time, you got to have fun doing it and you got to want to have fun doing it. Like I never 
in all the years I've been doing this, never once have I gotten to this microphone and been like, oh man, I have to do this again. Uh, you know, it's difficult juggling a day job to figure out like when to do it. Uh, but once I get down to the mic and start talking to an author, like that's just what I do. And it just, it's a thrill each and every time. And if you, you lose that fun and you're just looking at numbers or you're looking to make a buck or anything like that, you are just, you know, you are set up to fail and, you know, you're going to do 10, 15 episodes and be like, ah, I'm done. That's it. Um, and there, there are plenty of podcasts like that. We don't, we don't need any more of those podcasts. We need uh, engaged, bright, energetic, passionate podcasters and, you know, writers are all of those people. So, uh, yeah, if you're going to do it, you know, spend a little money to sound, you know, a blue Yeti does not, does not break the bank. Uh, and that's an easy plug and play. You'll sound fine. Uh, I'm telling this to myself in 2014, buying like a $20 microphone from Walmart. <laughs> uh, so yeah, but we'll do the, do those things and you'll be fine. Yeah. We want it. And we need your story. If you're, whether a podcast or not, like we need your stories out there. Like the, the, the world is just filled with stories that get left on the table and it, nothing drives me more crazy because, uh, you know, I'm in ham and egger. Like I, I, you know, I'm a cis white guy. Like uh, people know what my story is. We, we need yours. I want to read or hear yours. So yeah, uh, do that. Awesome. Um, yeah, I got my mic. I asked for my mic as a birthday present. So <laughs> see, there we go. Perfect. Yeah, my that's podcast great. co-host sent me mine. Oh, I think was, it was not even a, it wasn't a, you know, you sound terrible. It was just like, let's, we're doing this. So right. yeah, got it. Nice. And then I made lots of jokes about it because it is a, it's a shape. But yeah. I, mean, we won't get into that. <laughs> I tried to take cool pictures with it, is, it yes. for Instagram, and I was like, nope, there's nope. literally no picture <laughs> I can take with this mic that's not going to get a comment, so we're just not going to do it. No. Right, so the, the blue Yeti I have has like a little uh, yarmulke cap to it mm -hmm. instead of like this pop filter Yeah. Uh, as I hit my microphone, and it even it looks, it looks even worse. Yep, yep, I got mine. Got the pop filter. We got the pop filter. Yeah, Love a good pop filter. And yeah, it, you know, yeah. if if you get into this and you're any type of an audiophile, you can have a lot of fun doing this mm. for sure. Yeah. All right, um, Daniel. Can you tell us uh, about your books in case listeners want to check them out? Yeah. So my novel, my debut novel that came first, it's Sanford Lives, a coming of age tale about a writer living in a small town in Connecticut who goes to New York and has all of these adventures. I wonder what that's based on. Mm -hmm. uh, and Black Coffee is my collection of short stories that came out a couple of years ago. Uh, the, the title story is based on my uh, relationship with my late aunt. So the, the fact that it's in the world and, uh, you know, we used to drink black coffee together, just it, it means the world to me. So, you know, if Knowing that it's sold X amount of copies just uh, makes my world. So yeah, go to uh, my website, daniellefford.com or writersbone.com to find out more and how you can get them. But uh, yeah, ask your local indie to, uh, to get it and I'm sure they will. Yeah, and I have uh, links in the description too. So you can click on those. Okay, last question. Question I ask every guest. I hope you have already. Um, what is the most important <laughs> book that you've read and why? So I could have gone a couple different ways with this. My older brother gave me a copy of To Kill a Mockingbird in 1984 at one point. And this is be well before I had to read them in school. So I was reading that type of literature. Um, you know, I, I read uh, Love in the Time of Cholera later on in life. And that book just whew, 
floored me uh, and, and changed me in a different way, but I was already on the writing path. Uh, I got pulled into the AP English class. Uh, I tried to skate my senior year uh, and go into the academic class. And the first day, the teacher, Mrs. Uh, Ms. Hayward, uh, it, she would get mad at me if I said Mrs. Um, Ms. Hayward, uh, she asked, you know, who here likes to read? And my hand was the only one that went up. And it was a, a reflex. I didn't, this was not like me like, thinking yeah, like, uh, oh. if I had looked around, I would have been like, nope. <laughs> uh, but it's just a reflex. I'm like, I can't be the only, I was the only one in that class. So she let me hang around that class for for maybe a week. And then the, the following week, she was like, come see me after class. I'm like, God, it's like the first two weeks of school, we're reading Beowulf. I got dealing with a lot of stuff. I'm a senior. I'm trying to figure my life, what I'm going to do with my life. Uh, I'm trying to get to New York City. What could I have possibly done? And she goes, why aren't you in the AP class? Of course, I had no answer other than I was lazy and didn't want to do all of that work. And she she let me flop around with my mouth open for a while. And she's like, all right, go home and ask your parents. Or no, she's go home and tell your parents you're moving up. And I'm going to make this happen with the office. She did, uh, and one of the things that she did, including giving me my character name, Sid Sanford, um, she gave me a copy of Richard Russo's Nobody's Fool. Uh, I think she gave me the hardcover copy, and I think it might have been a first edition. Uh, and that that book changed my life, and that's who I wanted to to uh, to write like, and who I, I still try to emulate uh, when I read his fiction. It just it takes me back to that that time in my life, and just just. And I, I like writing about small towns too, and he tends to do the same thing. Uh, and one side story about Richard Russo, I went to see him read at uh, Harvard. Uh, it was sponsored by the Harvard bookstore, but they were doing it at a bigger auditorium in, in Harvard. And uh, I got there early, it was pouring rain. I was outside uh, waiting in line and I was talking to a, a couple who was, they ended up asking me about my work once they found out I was an author. I mean, I don't know how they, they found out because I told them. Uh, and, you know, we're talking, I have this lovely conversation and I see out of the corner of my eye, like Richard Russo running down the ramp to walk in the doors. And I'm like, no way. Like, this, this can't be, like, he can't just walk in like any Joe Schmo. Like, it's Richard Russo. He's kind of like, whatever. Nope. So the door is locked. So he's like struggling with the door. And I'm like, I literally have a captive Richard Russo here. <laughs> no. I can say or do anything. Like, this is great. And I had a book ready to give him later on. I wasn't going to do that at that point. And the woman goes to him, hey, buddy, you need to go to the back of the line. We've all been here for a while. You need to go to the back of the line. And I'm like, oh, my God. And he's like, I'm the guest. I'm Richard Russo. And I swear to God, I don't believe that she believed him until they let him in. Yeah. And I did not say a word. I was like, thank you. My moment is gone. I appreciate <laughs> it. You gave him the business. Uh, but yeah, Aww. long story short, nobody's fool, Richard Russo. Amazing. Still one of my favorites. Yeah. I remember we were, oh, for the Orlando Book Festival the first year, we were waiting for Rick Yancey to show up. He was our keynote. And he was supposed to like park on the back loading dock. So we had someone waiting for him. And someone came up to me and they're like, Sarah, I think, I think Rick Yancey's here. And he's just like wandering around looking at stuff. And um, he had forgot his glasses. So he <laughs> anything. That's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. 
okay cool but that's the dream the dream yeah. is to be the author that's wandering around and people are like um aren't you important <laughs> yeah but i don't know what i'm doing still yeah, no yeah exactly. please help please help me 100 percent, yes yeah all right uh well danny thank you so much for coming on the show it was great chatting with you oh thank you for having me appreciate it yeah of course and you can find um his website and links and social media everything in the description so um check that out and we'll say goodbye to Daniel and Emily and I will finish up. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thank you. All right. That was fun. That was so fun. All right. So it's time for audiobook of the week, which I do on every show, um, mm -hmm. except when I'm judging audiobook awards because I'm not allowed to talk about those books. <laughs> but, That's very cool, though. Um, this is one I got from the publisher. Yeah. Never pay the first bill um that subtitle is too small and i can't i didn't write it on my notes but by marshall <laughs> allen and it's also narrated by marshall allen who's a journalist who has um this has been his beat for a long time is um the medical industry overcharging us basically uh for Ooh, all i kinds have of feelings stuff. on that i won't get into it but i do have yeah. feelings so good for that yeah yeah it's a great book um if you even, I, I say, like, I've been saying for people who have, like, chronic illness or disability, especially because you're most often having these issues, but really anyone, like, yeah. honestly, it's really good. Um, and it will definitely make you mad. <laughs> for yeah. Sure. yeah, it's, it, I like, I listened to it while driving, and I was just, I'm sure if anyone looked at me while I was driving, they'd be like, what is wrong with that person? Because oh, I've just spent like, more time in the past month on the phone <laughs> arguing about a bill that's ridiculous. So, yeah, I feel it. I, but yeah. I, I love that someone is exposing it. So that's awesome. Yeah. So check it but out. Also, I, narrating your own audiobook is yeah. intense. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It happens a lot more in nonfiction, I think. But yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, I, I, like I, after I finished it, I like gave away three copies on my Twitter because I'm like, everyone needs to read this book. Yeah. So love it. Yeah. All right. And it is time to look at the viewer poll. So the question was, do you listen to bookish podcasts? Don't break our heart y'all. So we have, I have to pull that open in a different window so I can actually see it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, it looks like a yes. I see a yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. So 38% she said yes, publishing or writing focused ones. 2.4 said they only listen to reading focused ones. So okay. ones for readers rather than writers. 31% said both kinds. And 28.6% said no, not really. I will say that this is, of course, skewed by who follows me. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I think, I mean, I listened to... And I who retweeted us. Yes, I listened to both. I listened to writing-focused and reader-focused. And yeah. I honestly have found that the reader-focused have the, the most active um, and enthusiastic audience, but they aren't mm -hmm. necessarily the same people that are following me as a writer. So that's yeah, cool. that's fine. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so hopefully we can work on that 28.6%. <laughs> yeah. There's good stuff out there. Yeah. All right. Um, Emily, before I say goodbye to you, can you tell us about uh, this vicious grace? Um, sure. <laughs> huh. Scariest question for every author. Um, so this vicious grace is about a, a young girl, a young woman who has been given the power by the gods to um, to magnify a magical partner's magic in order to protect her island home but unfortunately she keeps um killing them instead which is a bit of a problem um and so she is sort of a chosen one in many ways but she is in a situation where people are starting to wonder whether 
they would be better off potentially assassinating her and seeing if a new savior rises. And obviously she's not a big fan of that. So she goes out in search of a, <laughs> um, a bodyguard that does not work for the powers that be. Um, and Dante has dark secrets of his own. Um, and he might be someone who can help her figure out her gift, or he might be the one who can take her out once and for all. And uh, right. in many ways, yeah, in many ways it is, it is sort of um, all the things I love about rom-coms and adventure movies and dark fantasy and just, it's a, such a self-indulgent book for me. I took everything I loved from every genre and every type of entertainment and I just squashed it into one book and I wrote it for myself and I've just been hugely gratified by how much other people have enjoyed it so far. And it comes out in uh, ju on June 28th of 2022 uh, with Wednesday Books and I'm really excited about it. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. And the cover reveal should be coming soon. It should like. be coming soon. Yes, okay. I have not seen it yet, but I've seen cover directions. So I think yeah. we're getting there. And also, you want to briefly tell us about Basic Pitches? Yeah. So Basic Pitches is a podcast where um, Anna, who is my um, critique partner, and I, we break down the basics of being a writer and writing. It's a very approachable, conversational, just fun and chatty discussion of writing and what it's like to be a writer in the industry. And it's, I think it's a, it's a really great entry point for people that are getting uh, into writing um, as a new writer, but also a place where if you are a more experienced writer, I think you'll find some insight and some camaraderie because we're, we're not trying to, you know, glitter it up. We're just telling it as it is. And it's a lot of fun. Right. Cool. Yeah. I've listened to several episodes. I, I did like um, y'all had a conversation about pitch wars. So if you're thinking about yes. enjoying pitch wars, that was a good one. Yes. Cause it was, and we're going to probably have more of those. Cause yeah, Anna and I met balance. as pitch wars mentees. Um, we had an episode with um, Ayanna Gray, who is the current kind of chair of pitch wars. We had an interview with uh, Lissa Mia Smith, who was my pitch wars mentee last year. So there's a lot of perspectives. Um, and I think we, you know, we really tell it like it is. We tell the good things and the bad things and we're not trying to, sell anyone on anything we're just trying to give it our, our real authentic experiences so yeah cool all right um emily thank you so much y'all can find emily's links in the description as well so go check those out including the goodreads link for this vicious grace so you can add it um and uh i'm just gonna close out the show with a couple of things i'll see you in a minute bye thanks all right. Thank you everyone so much for watching. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like and subscribe right there so you don't miss another episode. Also tell your friends because that's how they find out about things like this. You can also, again, subscribe via email and find our social media in the link as well. I mean, in the description as well as the link to the Patreon. Upcoming, we have uh, Queries, Qualms, and Quick queries qualms and quirks next week is going to be a little bit different we have an author and her, her literary agent are both on the show so um that's going to be a kind of a different conversation so it's Roiland Singh is the author and then Sarah Megabo who's the agent and so that's going to be fun so check that out and we're continuing on Wednesday write-ins every Wednesday at 8 p.m eastern come write with us or edit podcasts or plot or read or I don't know what Danny does <laughs> during the Wednesday write-ins. Um, and yeah, and we chat a little bit and then we have 20-minute writing sessions. So join us for that. All right. Um, everyone stay safe. Wash your hands, wear a mask. COVID is rising once again. So please stay safe and we'll see you next time. Bye. If you're enjoying this show, please check out my other podcast, Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. Queries, Qualms, and Quirks asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. 
I interview authors of all genres about how they got started writing, getting their book deal, and their experiences with publication. Search for it on your favorite podcast app.